Dr. Thomas Slavin, Chief Medical Officer for Myriad Genetics. Welcome to Inside the Genome. Hi, everyone. Welcome back to the podcast. Uh, today, we have two special guests. Uh, they were individuals that uh, worked for Myriad, and uh, I was really touched by one of the recent stories uh, behind our involvement in 9-11, which I had no idea uh, was going on. Uh, so I just wanted to find out more, uh, talk with them, and uh, really have them tell you know, the story as they saw it. Uh, we have uh, John Ryan. He is Senior Vice President of Operations, uh, and we are also joined by Benoit Leclerc. Uh, he is Program Director of Quality Assurance and Regulatory Affairs. So thank you both for coming on today. Thanks for having us. Oh, our pleasure. Yeah. So, um, you know, as I alluded to, I mean, you know, really, this was news to me. I had no idea Myriad had any involvement uh, in the 9-11 tragedy as a whole. Can you elaborate a little bit on, uh, you know, you know, what kind of prompted uh, Myriad's involvement here and how played out over the, the months to follow the, the horrible event? Uh, I can kick things off if you'd like, Benoit. Sure. So, you know, one of the sort of interesting thing that came out of all this is, and, you know, Ben Walken certainly add details to this, is that both he and I had come from a background where we had training and experience in mass disasters. I had previously to Myriad worked at the Armed Forces DNA Identification Laboratory, who actually um, is, works with the NTSB for any type of mass disaster that is occurring on American soil. Um, so as part of that, I'd done a lot of training and sort of planning around the idea of if and when something dramatic like this happened. What is, what is the NCSB just for our listeners? Uh, National Traffic Safety Board. Oh, okay. So when you have some type of large accident, there was a coordination that was occurring between AFDIL and the NTSB, lots of acronyms. In addition to which, uh, I had also been asked to be on the Scientific Advisory Board for the International Commission on Missing Persons. And our efforts were focused on the um, identification of remains from the Balkan Wars. And Benoit, coming from his background uh, in Canada and working with Swiss Air, and Benoit, if you wanted to add some color there. Yes, um, in 1998, uh, there was an air crash that uh, landed in Canadian territory. It was Swiss Air Flight 111 that was traveling from GFK to Geneva. And, and it crashed in the ocean near Halifax. And, and the RCMP, I was working at the RCMP at the time, the Royal Canadian Mounted Police for the uh, Forensic Lab Division. And we were uh, tasked with uh, identifying the remains. So um, we ended up uh, um, processing something like 3,000 uh, remains, separate remains wow. from the crash site. And, and at the time, uh, we also saw uh, in the flight manifest that there were a quarter of the passengers were related, meaning entire families were on board uh, and, and also personal effects that could be used for identification had been traveling with them. So we knew we would have to build pedigrees from within the, the, uh, the set of unknown uh, genotypes we would produce. And that uh, prompted me to uh, write a piece of software to accelerate this and, and then make it uh, even more robust in, in, in excluding possible mistakes. And, and that, uh, that activity in 1998, uh, New York uh, was aware that I had done this. So uh, when uh, in early September, uh, 
2001, uh, New York gave me a call and, and asked if I could lend a hand with, uh, with uh, adapting my piece of software to, uh, to the, the, this new set of circumstances. So they contacted you. Um, and what was your next step then? How did this all transpire? Well, of course, I said yes, uh, and mm-hmm. that would help. It's uh, the forensic community is is a small one. Everybody knows everybody, and 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 when one of us is is uh, is faced with a uh, a huge challenge, everybody comes to to comes to help out. So uh, the automatic response is, of course, I'm going to uh, uh, give you a hand. So. Uh, I work remotely uh, throughout the 15 months that my uh, assistance was required, basically receiving data sets from New York and processing them in, in Utah and, and returning uh, identification leads back to New York uh, to, on, on, on CD-ROM DVDs. And, 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 and not the victim's name, it was all coded with numbers. And, and the software would find the best matches and then return them to New York and they would, they would pursue uh, those leads and, and that uh, the, the bulk of them led to uh, identifications of, of, of the victims. So that's, that's how it, it, it came to be for me. Yeah, how did you get involved, John? So as an organization, uh, literally on 9-11, it was that classic thing of where we all witness uh, the planes hitting the towers and it was sort of this surreal moment where I literally was at home and I stood up and I said I have to get to work because anytime there had been this type of event uh, my organization had been involved and I got to work and quickly came to the realization that I was working for a different company and wasn't sure if we were going to have a role or not and so actually Benoit myself Tom Scholl and Brian Ward actually circled up and we started to talk about whether we felt like there was something that we could do to help. If you remember at that time, there were there was a belief that there was going to be north of 30,000 people killed in this event mm-hmm. or the estimates. And so at that time, uh, what we had built at Myriad Genetics from a forensics capacity was the only high throughput laboratory in the world at that time that had forensic accreditations, forensic processes. So we felt that minimally one of the things that we could do would be to process all of what would be described as reference samples and either from relatives of individuals or from personal effects. And so we quickly made an assessment as to we felt that we could do this and that it was a unique offering at that time. And we proposed it to the CEO of the company, Pete Meldrum. And our assumption was that we were going to be turned down. It just really wasn't within kind of the central business focus of the company. Instead, Pete came back and he said, go for it. This is a national tragedy. We want to be involved and we want to do what we can to help. He also really focused on the idea that we were going to go in and help. But, you know, TJ, you mentioned that you hadn't heard about this before. That was by design. We very much wanted to be involved with this, but we didn't want this to be something that was utilized as sort of a banner of, hey, look what we're doing. Mm -hmm. We wanted it to be very much a pure effort. So by the next day, we actually reached out to the New York office of the medical examiner, city medical examiner, excuse me. And because we actually had forensic contracts with them for databasing of their um, convicted offender profiles, 
they knew our work, they knew our capabilities, they had audited us and had a strong working relationship. And they said, absolutely. So we actually were receiving uh, reference samples, personal effects within one week. Pretty quickly, we discovered that this wasn't going to be on the scale that we thought it had been, but that the demand was still going to be very, very high. One of the things that happened was they quickly realized that not only for reference samples and personal effects, but for the actual victim samples themselves, there simply wasn't enough processing capacity within the United States. And they reached out to us and asked whether we felt like we had the capability to be able to do that. One of the things to recognize with all of this is this was actually a gigantic crime scene. And to be able to be involved with something like that, you have to be able to meet all the requirements for something to be within the legal arena. Mm. We worked with the New York State Department of Health to actually get accredited to not only be a reference laboratory for personal effects and reference samples, but actually to be able to process crime samples. And so we got our New York State Department of Health uh, tech lead certification very, very rapidly. And as part of that, we started receiving uh, actual victim samples within a month after the tragedy. Wow, that's incredible. The company was already doing a lot of this forensic work. I mean, where, where did, what was the origins of even that work in the beginning? Was it just that this was, you know, VNT on hard genetics, you know, these variable number of tandem repeats in the background and, you know, sure. we we're working on ways, uh, you know, that was kind of some of the early days of genetics. Is that where it just kind of naturally came out of, or was there some interest in forensics at the time for the you company? Know, it's a great question, TJ, and, and please feel free to add to this, Benoit. You know, we, we had a situation where, that Myriad was in the business of, you know, sequencing clinical samples for BRCA1 and 2. And that market, that sample volume simply hadn't developed in the way that the company had expected it. I mean, this was a true pioneering effort by Myriad, Mm -hmm. never been done before. So they built a lot of capacity and we ended up not getting very many samples for a period of time early on. And so as a company, one of the questions was, well, we've made this investment. Are there things that we can utilize that we can focus on that will, frankly, you know, fall within kind of our business? Mm -hmm. And um, the proposal was made to get involved with uh, basically databasing of samples from convicted offenders, because as is very common now, this idea of the FBI being able to utilize a database to process samples at a crime scene and link it back to a prior offender simply really didn't exist. It certainly didn't exist on any scale. So we got into that. And and over the course of seven years, we actually processed almost 900,000 database samples. Wow, that's incredible. There's a bit of history that uh, that, uh, John is probably unaware that that preceded his arrival at Myriad. In fact, in 1997, I I, I uh, came to, uh, to, to, to visit Myriad to, for troubleshooting a, uh, um, problems that we were having with our DNA sequencers. We were using DNA sequencers that were the same, the same make and brand uh, as, as Myriad back at the RCMP. And when I visited and I saw all the robotics that were in place, uh, I, I told Tom Shaw that, uh, that, uh, that uh, uh, John referred to earlier, I told him uh, that uh, that Myriad had, had the kind of setup that uh, would be perfectly suited to do high volume testing in the forensic uh, domain for convicted offenders, and and that uh, 
maybe maybe Marriott should, should, should think about it. So I don't know how much of that that comment that I made that day uh, actually trickled its way to all the way to uh, to upper management, and then uh, then it became a, a an avenue that uh, that Mir decided to pursue. But uh, the uh, um, I remember uh, making that comment, and then a few years later, uh, this this uh, this this came to be. Wow, that's a great point. I wasn't aware of that, and I actually joined in 2000 to run this databasing effort at Myriad, and and literally I was employee one of that of that fledgling effort where we had somebody dedicated to it versus people were doing this in their spare time, um, and it grew from there. And what, what was the sentiment around the, the company as all these samples are coming in, you know, to, to triage and take care of? Oh, my gosh. For the World Trade Center, this was probably one of the most, I, the, the word exciting probably sounds wrong, but it was an inspiring time. Literally, everyone at the company was desperate to be involved. We had people that were coming in on their days off to sweep the floors and take out the trash. It was literally everyone at the company had their eye on the idea that there had been this massive tragedy and what could we do to help? So one of our biggest struggles actually was everybody wanting to help, not necessarily having the skill set or the accreditation associated with it and saying, hey, you're a highly skilled individual. You're not accredited for this, but we can still use you for what might be more of a clerical task or something like that. So it was it was an inspiring time to be part of this, this company. Could only imagine. And, you know, what, what was the output of, of all these efforts? I mean, um, do, you, do you have kind of a, a high level recap uh, at the end of, you said it, it, this went on for um, about a year and a half, you said? Yeah, thereabouts. And Benoit, um, you know, I, I frankly don't have line of sight to a lot of what you were doing on the back end. So, you know, please weigh in on this. As far as our processing was concerned, we processed over... 20,000 samples, wow. personal effects, reference samples, and victim samples. I don't have the breakdown of that right now, but it was um, a huge effort that over time, one of the reasons why we actually got out of it was that you know, pretty quickly we were working solely on victim samples and the quality of those samples was degrading over time. The, mm. the site at the World Trade Center literally was wet and on fire. So high heat, high humidity, very, very degraded the samples. And so they had started to take a look at, at much more um, specialized means of being able to get a profile from those samples. And so we made a decision to actually exit this project. But um, and again, as I mentioned earlier, we tried to do this in a way that was really kind of behind the scenes and as quiet as possible. Mm -hmm. I may add to this, the uh... Very, very often on, on, on mass disasters, the, um, well, I will not generalize, but an air crash or, or something like this, uh, what can be found is usually found very quick, pretty quickly in a matter of, of maybe seven to 10 days. Uh, the, the brief field that uh, the World Trade Center was, uh, it was 1.6 million tons of, of, of those two buildings weighed that much. And it took ten months to uh, to excavate the, the site, and and it was all triaged on conveyor belts to look for for remains, and and so the longer, uh, more time passed, the heat and humidity did its work, meaning that over time, 
as John said, the samples that were being recovered were more and more degraded, yielding uh, fewer, fewer, fewer and fewer geno uh, or shorter genotypes, if you will. It's like a partial, a partial plate uh, on a car. Uh, the fewer numbers you have on, on the plate, the more, uh, the, the less informative it is to, in, in the way of pointing to a particular individual. So that's why uh, at, at, the, at, the, at the back end of this, of this effort, it became uh, the number of identifications that the OCM uh, was producing was, was falling down pretty rapidly because uh, a lot of the tested samples were not producing enough data to be able uh, to allow for a match to be made. Mm -hmm. And what, what were the sample types coming in? Oh, were they DNA or were they the, were human remains? So what we did, um, as far as the processing was concerned, they were doing DNA extractions really on site and then mm -hmm. putting it out to these, these laboratories that were involved with the amplification and the uh, sequence of the genotyping of these samples and creating reports. And so they were actually coming in in plates as DNA extracts, because one of the things that we looked at was <clears throat> at Myriad, we wanted to be very cautious about only applying our efforts to where it made sense and that we felt like we had unique capabilities. And a lot of that had to do with our high throughput processing system, whether it was the, the amplification, the actual sequencing, genotyping of the samples or the developing a, a profile and a report coming out of that. And that's where we felt like that's where we had kind of that unique capability to apply to this. Yeah. And did, did you ever get follow-up, um, you know, on, you know, how many people were ultimately identified or matched from all this effort? You know, um, that is ongoing. So that number always changed. Wow. There was a point at which we were associated with over 1600 identifications wow. and, you know, frankly, haven't kept track of that since, but it was, you know, one of the things that I, I really want to say about this and, and I hope this conveys was everyone that was at Myriad was involved with this in one way or another. And what was fascinating about it was when I sent out that email, the number of individuals who were involved with this that are still at Myriad 20 years later. And when you would talk to them, they would get a catch in their voice, not simply because of the tragedy itself and, and the horrible, horrible implications of that, but this point where the country, but also our company came together to accomplish something really amazing. Yeah. It was a, it was an a inspiring time to be at Myriad. Yeah. No. And um, I have many questions, but I mean, when it, the, the matching of the actual samples on the identification, is it usually that you're matching, you know, something that was found with something that, you know, was in someone's home? Is that Benoit can speak to that at length? Yes, the um, in fact, I have a slide on my, on my computer screen over here that uh, I produced many years ago in 2004. And the um, personal effects are often thought to be uh, the, the best source of material because it, it, it hopefully it's going to contain a a trace of, of DNA that would be a perfect match to the uh, genotype that will be recovered from the remains. However, uh, the, uh, 
when we tabulate the identifications that were done, they were done, there were 1,560 uh, 60 on, in 2004. At that time, personal effects had been, had been uh, used in 4.8% of, of all identifications. Mm. So it's very, very low. And, and in an air crash, it's the same thing. Uh, personal effects are, are in the luggage, the most useful ones toothbrush and so on are in, in uh, are in the luggage uh, that have been destroyed in the crash as well so we often uh, uh, in those in those uh, mass disasters have to do parentage analysis the, that's another way of talking about paternity testing it's uh, here it's uh, instead of working with two nouns mom and dad well three nouns mom, mom dad and, and the child uh, where uh, you can figure out in about a minute with the uh, on paper uh, whether or not uh, the the uh, the parentage analysis works out. Uh, in the case of a mass disaster, you're dealing with uh, with two knowns, but an unknown uh, within uh, within the victim's data set, or with a mass disaster that is involving an airplane, uh, you might have entire families within within the, uh, the the block of victims. So parentage analysis becomes critical in order to make identifications. The big difference with New York uh, with the World Trade Center is that the people it was a workplace, so there were mm -hmm. only two of the victims that were related. There were two brothers that were working at the World Trade Center in different companies, but there were no uh, entire families uh, among, among among the victims. So all the parentage analysis had to do with 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 two uh, well two uh, living uh, uh, relative next of kin that we were trying to match to uh, to uh, to victims uh, genotypes. So the challenge, the particular challenge uh, with, uh, with the World Trade Center was in 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 what John described earlier, the degradation. So. Mm -hmm. uh, you would need basically you would be looking for full profiles uh, within the data set and then try to match that full profile partial ones you would probably find many because uh, you can by the uh, level of destruction that was obvious in the pictures that you you can still see on the web of, of, of ground zero the buildings were, were were reduced to nothing so uh, there was a, a if, if steel was broken down that much, you can imagine how bodies were, yeah. were broken down. So there was somebody, uh, a victim of the, of the World Trade Center for which in my, one of my listings, there were 200 body parts uh, matching related to that individual. So you would use the longest, the longest profile and then attach back the, 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 the partial ones until you were reaching mm -hmm. a, a certain threshold for a certain likelihood ratio of, 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 of your finding this profile someplace else in the, in the population. And then that way we could create a single block of, of profiles, the longest one being the one we would search either for the next akin to, to match to. Yeah. So the, uh, it required a lot of computation. There were also uh, clerical errors that, were, uh, that found their way into the data when uh, when uh, when uh, when paperwork was filled out to uh, for the next again at times the, the check box the wrong check box would be uh, would, would be checked uh, and not telling us the the actual uh, relationship to the victim so when we noticed that we decided to uh, uh, not use the uh, the reported relationships but 
use all the next kin as a block, an anonymous block, and, and then testing it against all the victims and see what the algorithm would, would come out as to, okay, these three belong together. Then mm -hmm. New York would look at whether or not the, the two next to kin are in the same family, which 99.99% uh, .99 of the time they were. And yeah. that would lead that would lead to, to an identification. So you can imagine the computing uh, uh, the computing demands that 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 uh, that uh, that put on 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 the system. Uh, the software I wrote was, uh, were, of course, twenty years ago. Computers were not nearly as fast. Uh, I, I would load up the every week with the a, a, a data download from New York. I would load it up on a Friday afternoon when I would receive it, and would it would run overnight, sixteen hours. And the next day, I would have a list of of, of, of matches to send back to New York. So uh, that were those were billions and billions of comparisons to eventually find the three pieces that fit together for different families. Yeah. And what, what are you normally looking, like what's the algorithm looking at? Is it looking at tandem repeats, like in the DNA? STRs, short yeah. tandem repeats. Yeah. And, and, and the NTRs were, were preceding STRs in, in mm -hmm. forensic history. But uh, you're looking at your, our genotype, uh, with SDRs is a bunch of numbers. So mm -hmm. it's uh, where the, the genotype for a given locus, it's the number repeats that uh, for the two alleles, that, that is the genotype. So let's say you got 14 repeats from the paternal allele and then 17 repeats on the maternal one, then the genotype for that, lo that target would be 1417. Mm. So, and then you do this on multiple different, uh, different targets uh, and we were doing 16 at the time. So uh, with that number of targets, you're expecting to get enough discrimination power to be able to tell any two people uh, apart uh, the, the odds of having the same genotype short of being an, having an identical twin was into the billions. So mm -hmm. that's how we, uh, we end up being able to tell two individuals apart. But with paternity testing or parentage analysis, uh, you're going to receive one allele from mom, one allele from dad. And then if you know what, uh, what those four alleles are, or, or, you, or you know what your two alleles are, let's put it that way, you can find two parents that will each have one of those two alleles for that locus. Then you look mm -hmm. at the next locus and they are sharing still one allele each. And then you do this across 16, 16 systems. And in the end, the odds of, of not having the yeah. right set of parents is, is very low. Yeah. Wow. And what, I mean, you know, this is incredible. And, and, you know, what has been the history since the project stopped uh, with forensics at Myriad and are, are either of you still working on forensics in either way? You know, it's a great question, TJ. In 2007, uh, you know, as, as Benoit had mentioned, there was this history of this, this potential application of what had been built to databasing. And that was very successful. Within 18 months, we actually owned 72% of the available contracts that were out there. We just went in and dominated it. Soon after that, one of the things that happened was that this became a um, kind of a feast or famine business. It was being driven by the DNA Act. And so a lot of federal money was being pushed out to state entities and local entities. The struggle with that was we would go through a contracting basis. So there would be six, nine months at a time where no samples would be coming in. And then the contract would get awarded. And there were times where we had over 30,000 samples coming through in a given month. 
And what Mary had recognized over time that was that this probably wasn't going to be a great business to be in, just from the perspective of being able to um, have a steady processing cap- capacity and whatnot. Mm-hmm. At the same time, uh, the the really the clinical diagnostic business had been taking off. We ended up at times kind of competing for resources. And so, you know, we were growing rapidly on both fronts. And Myriad made a decision in 2007 to get out of forensics. Um, you know, and, and when I looked at it from a business perspective, it, it made sense. Honestly, looking at it kind of personally and, and also professionally, it was, it was very, very hard to, yeah. to uh, not be involved with that so directly anymore. Yeah. Especially because it was such a part of your life. I mean, you know, and, and men, why, I mean, are you still working in this field at all? No, um, I, I started working at Myriad in 2001 and, and, and I was involved in many forensic projects at the time. Uh, but when, uh, when we, uh, uh, the, uh, the forensic division was, was, uh, was closed and then all of my time was basically reallocated to, uh, to clinical testing. Um, I've not done any, uh, I've done two, uh, two events, so Swiss Air and the, the World Trade Center. And, 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 and now uh, 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 there have been other disasters and there's, there's always a, 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 a large number of people that are willing to help out uh, with, with those events. And, and uh, um, it's, quite, it's, it's, it's quite demanding to, 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 to work in, in on, on, uh, on mass disasters because of pressures of time. Uh, uh, it's very, uh, uh, High pressure. Uh, next of kin uh, are, are looking for uh, an, uh, for the retrieval, the identification of their of their, of their, of their loved one. Uh, political pressure and so on. So uh, those were long weeks for fifteen months that uh, yeah, that uh, that uh, were, was working on it. Uh, upward north of of seventy eighty hours a week. So. Um, I, I, uh, it's, it's quite taxing to do that kind of work. And, and, uh, after two events, I said, well, if somebody rings me up one day for help, um, I won't say no, but it's, uh, I, uh, I, it, it was a, a very, uh, uh, um, as, as John said earlier, exciting is not the right word, the, uh, but certainly, uh, inspiring time to uh, to have been involved in, in this it's it it for me it was a, a challenge as to how we're going to do this uh, and 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 to identify as many uh, victims as possible as quickly as possible uh, the uh, the intellectual challenge was 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 it was worth it it's uh, it's uh, and and then it, it it advanced the field of of of, of mass disaster identification initiatives and and now there there are commercial products that, that that are involved in doing this, and also missing person databasing is uh, has taken off as well. Uh, I still have friends in the community that I talk to on a regular basis, but I'm not active on on the forensic front anymore. Yeah, similarly, uh, yeah. Uh, similarly, I was I also uh, at that time I was on the Department of Justice Office of Inspector General team that was taking a look at um, some of the practices that the FBI laboratory and I was on the scientific advisory board for the ICMP 
for both of those, I took a step back. It's, it's one of those classic things where if you're not like actively involved with it, you, you pretty quickly, your accreditations uh, go away, mm-hmm. you fail on what's happening in the field. Lots of friends in the field and it's exciting to see where it's gone. Uh, you know, so we sort of had our, our moment where we were able to have an impact on this. And then uh, we've been continued to be engaged by all the challenges that Myriad is throwing at us in, in kind of the clinical arena. Yeah. Plenty to do there. No, I mean, uh, yeah, really, uh, you know, appreciate, you know, personally, all the work that both of you have, you know, done and shared here today. I mean, this was uh, incredible. And, and hopefully the listeners, you know, have a, uh, you know, I don't know any of this, you know, you don't, you know, honestly, didn't really think about the, the background of, you know, how to identify these individuals and uh, get information back to loved ones. So this was, uh, um, you know, quite revealing on a lot of fronts. Uh, so uh, thank you both. Uh, incredible commitment, uh, you know, long hours, I'm sure, uh, during that time, you know, we're still, as you brought up, John, I mean, still doing good, you know, now, you know just, uh, you know, you know, helping out uh, on the clinical front, which is a huge need as well. And, uh, but it's, it's interesting to hear some of the origins of the company uh, and the decisions that were made uh, to, you know, get us to where we are today. So, well, thank you both. Uh, yeah, for your time. Uh, no, and, and uh, thank you for the opportunity. Just first off, I'll say that uh, Benoit's estimate of his hours is is very conservative. He was <laughs> night and day and all weekends. Yeah, a lot of the people at the company were. This was truly a company wide effort. So many people are involved with this, and they take deep pride and having been involved and been successful at it. So it's it's an honor to come here and talk about it. But frankly. Uh, when I come here and talk about it, it is representing yeah. hundreds of people from myriad genetics that were involved with this. Well, thank you both. 